0: So I have to ask if that was a joke. Are they they referring to the hotel as a hostel? Is is that it? Okay. Interesting. Well, yesterday we were heading out for a pizza. You can applaud that. (laughs) And how many of you saw that giant storm cloud that was over there in the east? Did you see that? It was this massive cloud that looked like um, a mushroom cloud from a nuclear blast. It was really impressive. But it got me thinking about this story. There was this very large storm approaching that a weatherman uh, came on the news and told everybody about and warned them, get out of town, evacuate. And a local pastor said, I won't worry, God will save me. In the morning of the storm, the police go through the neighborhood, and they have this sound truck, and they're telling everyone to evacuate, and the pastor says, I won't worry. God will save me. The storm drains back up, and, and there's an inch of water standing in the street. Fire truck comes by to pick up the pastor, and he says, don't worry. God will save me. The water rises another foot. A National Guard truck comes to the rescue, and he tells them, don't worry, God will save me. So the water rises more, the pastor's forced on his roof, a boat comes by to rescue him, and he tells them, don't worry, God will save me. The water rises higher, the pastor's forced to the very top of his roof, a helicopter comes to rescue the pastor, and he says, don't worry, God will save me. So the water rises above his house, and the pastor drowned. And so when he got up to heaven, he he said to God, I've been your faithful servant for decades. Why didn't you save me? And God said, "Uh, first I sent you a fire truck, then the National Guard, then a boat, then a helicopter. What more do you want from me? (laughs) You know, it's it's hard to know God's will, isn't it? And it's hard to know how to pray for God's will to be done. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look this morning, verses 7 to 15 again. And I'm just going to read through that. This is the same text that we were in last week, and as you know, we spoke about the Father's kingdom come is how we're supposed to pray. This week we'll be talking about the Father's will being done. So Jesus says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you will need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others then your father will not forgive your transgressions so again I'm just going to review what we spoke of last week the last two weeks we've been covering the same territory here this is what is known as the the Lord's prayer or probably more appropriately the disciples' prayer and the instruction in this prayer is is given in the present tense we said Last week, And then what that means is, present active, it means you're supposed to pray this way regularly in your communion with God. This is how you are to continually pray. And we said also last week that the, this model prayer is comprised of six petitions. It's three and three, two groupings of three. Uh, the first group of three, uh, we said, was specifically for God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will to be done here on earth as it is up in heaven. Uh, The prayer looks for God to take action, not for us worshipers to somehow bring the kingdom into being. The second grouping concerns the disciples' need for God's grace to guard them until the Messiah's kingdom comes. It's, It's God's grace. It's a request that God would watch over them. In particular, they concern physical provision, the need for forgiveness, and the deliverance from temptation, verses 11 to 15. And we said also that God does not include all aspects of prayer in this prayer. This is a model. Uh, It does not exhaust the the biblical teaching on the subject. Uh, But what this model provides us is a focused model of prayer in light of the coming kingdom. And by implication and direct statement, our role in relation to that great event. We... Know the kingdom is coming. This prayer helps us to focus our prayers so that we know how to pray for that coming kingdom. As I said last time, the literal rendering of verses 9 to 10 here uh, reads something like this. So therefore pray, you all, Father of us, the one in the heavens, let it be made holy, the name of you. Let it come, the kingdom of you, and let it come about, the will of you, as in heaven, also on earth. And Notice the disciples are, are being asked to pray in such a way that what is occurring up in heaven would occur down here on earth. That's what they're asking God for. And the last statement there, as in heaven, also on earth, more than likely pertains to all three of those requests, the name, the kingdom, and the will. Last week, we discussed the petition for God's kingdom to come, and we noted the difference between God's universal kingdom and his mediatorial kingdom. That was the main focus last time. Uh, Some of you uh, said to me, you left some things out, Pastor, and I said, I know, I did that on purpose. Uh, I I was not teaching on eschatology in general. I was teaching on the coming of the kingdom specifically, and when that kingdom bleeds into the universal kingdom. So I intentionally left some things out uh, so that I wouldn't cloud what the focus of the message was. I hope that was clear to you all. This morning, we're going to examine this third position, uh, petition. Pardon me. That is that your will would be done. Your will be done. And we're going to do that so that we, again, might pray and prioritize our lives in accordance with its divine perspective. It's the same that we have been saying week over week. We're just now looking at the third petition. So this week, we want to look at the petition for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it come about the will of you as in heaven, also on earth. So like last week, in order to pray for God's will to be done here on earth, we kind of need to know which will is being talked about, don't we? Uh, theologians uh, technically use two different terms to describe the two aspects of God's will. There is his sovereign will, and there is his moral will. And so we need to understand which one is we are being asked to pray for here in this text. A sovereign will as sometimes is referred to as God's secret will, and this is God's secret plan that determines everything that happens in the universe. It's perfect. It's predetermined. It's unalterable and unable to be frustrated by his creatures. It is God's sovereign will. Whatever he has determined to come to pass will inevitably come to pass. We can look at some examples of this. If you want to turn in your Bibles, Daniel 4:35. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God's will uh, overrules man's will. Proverbs uh, 16.33. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, I think the pages are up there for you, but that would be page 655. So Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot would be a form of, if you could say, sort of rolling the dice, right? You can roll the dice, but God determines which edge they're going to land on unless you're in Vegas and they fix the dice. Proverbs one: The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So the king thinks he knows what he's doing. He thinks he's in control of his affections and his will. But in reality, the sovereign king directs him where he wants him. He controls his very affections so that the king thinks he's doing what he wants to do. That's a statement of sovereignty, beloved. Uh, Acts 2.23. Why don't we go to the New Testament and let me just look at a couple more references here just so you understand what we're talking about when we talk about sovereign will. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It was the predetermined plan of God that Christ would be crucified. Nothing was going to stop that, frustrate it, uh, not allow that to come to pass. And yet still, the people that nailed Christ to the cross are still culpable for it. It was God's sovereign will that had happened, but the guilty will still pay. It's predetermined. And it's based in God's foreknowledge of future events. Acts chapter 4, just to the right here. Verses 27 to 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They were there. They thought they had travel plans for the spring. They were there and they were... Uh, in town and all these Gentiles and peoples came to Israel for what they thought were their own plans. But when they got there, it says that they were there to do what God had predetermined that they would do. They were there for his purposes to crucify Christ at that time. That is God's sovereign will, beloved. Uh, That is the unalterable, predetermined um, eternal plan of God that is His and His alone and is unable to be frustrated by His creatures. The other type of will that the Scriptures talk about is, is God's moral will. God's moral will. Sometimes referred to as His revealed will, His general will, or His permissive will. God's revealed commands in the Bible that teach men and women how they ought to believe and live. You could say it's all of Scripture. It's all of Scripture. It's all of revealed Scripture. However, in many cases, the, the moral will of God is actually defined clearly in specific statements, which we're going to see today. Some examples of this, Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. Why don't you turn there? I won't have you flipping all morning here, but I just want you to gain an understanding of these topics. So Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. That is, the law that they were holding in their hands was what God had revealed to them about his moral will for the Israelites. The secret things he had not revealed belonged to him, his secret will. You see the difference and the distinction there? Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I'll just take you one other place on this one. Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 8 to 11. The Apostle Paul here is reflecting on his call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and this gospel was something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. Paul says it was it was revealed to him, and now he is making it known to people. Uh, verse eight: To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It was a secret. It was a secret that was in God, but now it is being revealed by the Apostle Paul through the church. So that's the difference between sovereign will and moral will, uh, Paul is now, here in uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, he is now revealing God's will of the church to uh, blend Jews and Gentiles together, something which was previously unknown in history, uh, into one new man with Christ as their head. It's what the whole book of Ephesians is about. So, So which one is Christ asking us to pray for back in Matthew? Why don't you turn back there? Which one are we being asked to pray for? Well, in Matthew's gospel, try to funnel this down a little more just to Matthew's gospel, uh, three of the six uses of the word will in the book allude to God's moral will. But you notice there's three. And there's six altogether, so that's what? Half. (laughs) Half of them talk about God's moral will. uh, And that would be Matthew 7.21. We don't need to turn there this morning, but Matthew 7.21 Matthew 12, 50, and Matthew 21, 31. And the requests in their context, uh, with the idea of it being his moral will, there's the idea that there's something that the person is praying that they, w- they would do God's will or his commandments. That's how the prayer come across. This is what God expects of you. These are his commandments. And so the person praying says, help me to do your will. Okay, And that's different than if it's his sovereign will. If it's his sovereign will, then it's just sort of whatever's going to happen is going to happen and help me be all right with it. Do you understand the difference? Uh, the other references in Matthew where the word will are used, they, they do refer to God's sovereign will. That is his, his desire or his predetermined plan. And that would be in 1814. And that would also be in 26 and verse 42. In those contexts, God's foreordained plan for the person's life is being expressed there and and their desire to sacrifice, to suffer, to die if necessary, that God's predetermined plan would come to pass. That's That's the difference between how to pray for God's sovereign will and how to pray for God's moral will. One is more or less acceptance of whatever is going to come to pass and just... Helping, asking for help to be okay with it. The other is more saying, help me to do it. Help me to do it. In Matthew 6.10, which is the sixth use of it, of, of, of the, the, verb, the word will, the verb there is best translated, if I could say it this way, let it happen. Let it happen, the will of you. Now, when you think about the terminology in the book and the different uses of the way will is used, that sort of sounds like a resignation that it is God's sovereign will that we're talking about there, right? Whatever's going to happen, let it happen. But I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that I think it has both moral and sovereign components to it. I'll explain myself here. Look back at the second prayer request. Your kingdom come. Let it come, the kingdom of you. Seems to have sort of sovereign implications or components. And the third petition builds upon the second, right? The third petition of your will be done builds upon the idea of your kingdom come. They are related. So in other words, only after a renewal of the cosmos in the future, uh, when the kingdom comes, uh, righteousness will conquer and it will reign completely. That's a sovereign idea. There's no way around it. God is just going to do that. And righteousness will prevail. However, how are we as believers supposed to relate to that great event in the here and now is where the moral idea comes into it. Believers seek the fulfillment of God's plan for the ages, and they should desire in the here and now to live in submission to his will today. That's moral. That's moral. And it's not to somehow usher in the kingdom through some kind of self-effort. We know we're not going to do that, right? It's not because Christ is reigning on the throne in our hearts, right? (laughs) But it's in light of the fact that we are displaced subjects of the one true king. And we want to live like citizens of that kingdom in the here and now. We are citizens of the kingdom. We just don't have a king and we don't have our kingdom here. But that's what makes us different. That, that's what makes us different living in this world now when our king isn't here with us. I have a quote just to help you get your arms around this here. I thought this was helpful. It says, Every person's moral choices are associated with one of two biblical gardens. Many exhibit the spirit of Eden, where the first man and first woman insisted, Not as you will, but as I will. The true Christian disciple exhibits the spirit of Gethsemane, in which the Savior agonized, not my will, but your will be done. The believer wants God to fulfill his plan for the cosmos by reversing the effects of sin on the world and restoring righteousness, and that, and that same longing prompts him to strive to live righteously here and now. Understand that? Yes, it's a sovereign idea, but it should have an effect on us in the, in the present. God's moral will will prevail through us as we live in obedience to Him. So, praying for God's will to prevail upon the earth has direct implications in eight areas of our lives that I want to talk about this morning. What we're talking about here is the moral will of God. And this is not an all inclusive list by any stretch of the imagination, these are just the direct statements that say in Scripture. This is the will of God for you. And so I think we need to take those to heart. As I said before, the whole of Scriptures are the revealed will of God. It's all of it. So don't mistake me when I say you only have to do these eight things. It's all of it. But particularly we want to look at these eight this morning. So direct implications in eight areas of your life. Let's start with sacrifice. Sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God... Except here it's not talking about throwing a dead carcass up on a, up on a pit fire. It's talking about putting yourself up there. Uh, presenting your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. And not as some sort of propitiation, but as praise. As praise to God. Uh, you know, we're, we're willing to say, I'll die for you, Lord, any day, just like Peter, right? Right? but how many of us are willing to say yeah but i'll live for you every day i'll live for you every day uh, that's a little bit harder are we willing to sacrifice ourselves every day upon the altar of god crawl on up there and sacrifice yourself and uh, notice the transformation here verse 2 is the end goal the transformation is the end goal and so what you need to pray for is that you need to pray that your, your mind would be renewed so that your actions would be altered so that your loyalties to God would be made obvious to the world around you. See, it's proving what the will of God is, proving by your actions, proving by your actions. And the basis for this, just so you know, is chapters 1 through 11. It is the entire teaching of the gospel here. The good news of the gospel and, and what Paul is calling you to here then is a renewal of the mind to think differently than you used to think and then let that thinking transform your actions and as your actions are transformed you will begin to prove what the will of God is. The will of God will prevail through you. Secondly, secondly, First Thessalonians four three sanctification. Did I say first Thessalonians or second? I said first. First Thessalonians four three. Again, direct statement for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, i.e., margin note, fornication. That is sanctification that you would be set apart from sin. That's a big word, sanctification. What does it mean? That you would be set apart from sin and to holiness. And in this particular context, it's talking about being set apart or abstaining from sexual immorality And instead, that you would walk in sexual purity. I don't have time to exposit every one of these passages in the detail that I would love to. But let me just say this. This is in regards to prayer, right? Pray for God's moral will to prevail. So how do you pray in this way? Well, pray that God would restrain your flesh and keep you from sinning in this way. Pray for His his Spirit to, to control you rather than your flesh. You know, the scriptures say, 1 Corinthians 6, every other sin that a man commits is outside of his body. But sexual sin, a man sins against his own body. So pray that you would remain pure as a testimony to your faith in God. Pray as a testimony to your belief in the holiness of God. Sexual sin stains the reputation, not only of you, but of your church. It, it, it implicates Christ in your sin. You are one with Christ. And would you, Paul says in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, would you take Christ and make him members of a prostitute? Would you do that? May it never be. Sexual purity is an absolute must for believers. You can look at Ephesians chapter 5 as well. It's not even to be named among believers. Immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man Who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The immoral man who is an idolater, it's it's saying idolatry is really what characterizes that person. God requires sexual purity, sanctification. Third, will of God, satisfaction. Just turn to the right, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Again, I'm just hitting on the statements here that are direct statements in Scripture that say, in particular, this is God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus satisfaction as believers we are supposed to give thanks for everything we're supposed to be thankful people this is god's will for us in christ jesus that we would be thankful people not complainers not whiners not not holding a grudge against god for not giving us everything we want we have as was alluded to earlier Ephesians 1. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? We have everything that we want or need. God is sovereign. His Spirit has secured your future redemption. What do you have to complain about? And yet, how often do you find yourself complaining? So, How do we pray? Well, we need to pray that God would cause us to be satisfied with the abundance of the blessing that he has showered upon us. That's how we pray. God, help me to find contentment, not in this world or the things of this world, but on what you've given me in the heavenly realm. Help me to think with a heavenly mindset, Help me to think on all the spiritual blessings you've showered upon me in Christ. It's rehearsing the gospel day by day by day and having a thankful heart for the redemption of Christ. Beloved, we did not wake up in hell this morning. Right? Is that good news? That's good news. And we ought to be satisfied that God has redeemed us. Fourth, suffering, suffering, First Peter three seventeen. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for what is doing right rather than for what is doing wrong. Hey, if you're going to suffer for anything, if you're going to get thrown in prison, let it be because you're a believer who's wrongly accused rather than because you committed a crime and you deserve to be there. I think that's what this passage is talking about here. It's better that you should suffer if God wills it so for living righteously as a believer rather than for crime. Turn to Philippians one twenty nine. I just want to look at one other verse in relation to this. Paul tells the Philippian church, therefore to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. Granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Count it a privilege, Philippians. Count it a privilege that you get to suffer for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the name. You know, we just saw T.J. and Karen there in India. And I was thinking about what they have to endure there, the constant threat of retaliation, the constant noise, (laughs) the living conditions. Um, For me, man, you'd have to be a strong person to live in that environment Day over day over day. Jake's coming home. They have to stay. They're going to stay for a long time. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. And this is this is talking about suffering as in persecution that comes because you're a believer. Not the suffering associated with everyday life. Okay? There is suffering associated with everyday life. It hurts to get out of bed in the morning and that sort of thing. But what we're talking about here is suffering for the sake of Christ, the gospel. So, how do we pray in light of that? Well, we pray for those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, i.e. missionaries. We pray for the grace to endure hostility hurled against us. You know, if you're Being harassed because you're a believer, it doesn't mean you retaliate. It means you, what? Praise God for the opportunity to identify with Christ. See, that's a different mindset. If we want God's moral will to prevail through us, though, when called upon to suffer, we need to suffer in the way that brings God the most glory. I know that sounds strange, but that's what God is asking of us. pray now pray now that should suffering come you would be ready for it you would be ready for it that you would stand firm in the faith fifth spirit filling ephesians 5:18 So sacrifice, sanctification, satisfaction, suffering, spirit-filling. Ephesians 5.18. This builds off of verse 15. It's kind of a conclusion statement. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not like this, but like this. You see that phrase? You see that three times in this little section here? Not like this, don't walk as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You see that? So Spirit-filling Is God's desire for his people. And in the context here, it's defined for us. What does spirit-filling look like? Well, these five ing words that follow, if I could say it that way, participles, speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and subjecting. Subjecting. That's what being spirit-filled looks like for the believer. Let me just say, uh, uh, this is probably not news to most of you, but the Holy Spirit is largely shut out from most believers' lives. They know little about Him and less about how to relate to Him or how to walk in the Spirit or how to live under His control or how to be in fellowship with Him. Uh, Most of us have little idea of how to relate to the Spirit. We just sort of know what God wants us to do, and we just sort of try to do it, right? It's the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It's, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do God's will now. But you can't do any of these things apart from the Spirit's enablement. Let's just say that right now. Spirit filling is not pulling into this spiritual gas station and filling up your tank with more Holy Spirit and then driving away. Uh, what it means to be Spirit-controlled is to, to walk in obedience and fellowship with the Spirit. It means to be controlled by Him in all that you do. It means that you read the Scriptures, you saturate your mind with an understanding of what the will of God is, you pray and you commune in fellowship with the Spirit, and you allow Him to rule in your life rather than your own desires in your own flesh. We do believe in a triune God, don't we? Right? We are orthodox in that way. We know about God the Father. We know about Christ the Son. But how many of us spend any time at all getting to know the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit or to understand the Spirit or to even uh, consider Him in anything that we do? He's largely absent from the believer's life. And let me just say, Galatians 5, flesh begets flesh. Spirit begets spirit. If you want deeds of the flesh, then do them according to your flesh. If you want fruit of the spirit, then what? You have to be walking in the spirit. You have to be under his control. And and again, I'll just say this. We're looking at direct statements of the will of God from the Scriptures, so the only way to know what God wants from you, to know His will, to understand how His will will prevail through you, is to read the Bible. It's the only way you can know, right? This is the revealed will of God, not somebody's opinion. It's this, and it's all of it. So the only way to know God's will is to be in the Scriptures, And let them saturate and control your thought life and your actions. So pray for God's sanctifying work of grace. Pray that God would fill you with His Spirit continually. That He would change the way you behave. That the Spirit would begin to renew you and refresh you and change your mind. So that you view life and situations differently. So that God's will would prevail through you. The Spirit brings change. Flesh begets flesh. Sixth, settledness. It's amazing how God put all of these in S form, isn't it? Hebrews 10.36 For you have need of endurance, So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. I think this is kind of self-explanatory, but instead of getting tossed by every wind and wave of doctrine, instead of getting yanked here and there by the latest and greatest fads, it's saying to settle, to find rest in God's perfect work on your behalf by by demonstrating your trust in Christ in your daily walk, by living in obedience to Him day in and day out, you are doing the Father's will, and if you do the Father's will, then you can be assured of your inheritance. And again, this is not apart from the Spirit, but it's, it's talking about enduring in the will of God here. Enduring in the will of God and and finding a settledness in resting in Christ. Seventh, submission, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 15. Submission, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Let me just point something out, just observation this phrase, by doing right, qualifies submission. In other words, submit, and that is doing what is right. Submitting to those whom God has placed in authority over you. This is not just for wives. This, is, this passage is not even talking to wives yet. Submission is part of the Christian life. And as we talked about last week, if we know that God is our king, it means we're willing, or Christ is our king, it means that we're willing to submit in this life now. We submit to his authority now. Submission to those whom God has placed over us is submission to God himself. And, and that's what we need to get our arms around. God has designed roles for people and to buck against the system, to buck against those who are in authority over you is to buck against God's sovereignty in placing those people over you. Submission is part of the life of a believer. It characterized Christ, Christ's submission to the Father's will as well, right? Submission to those in authority is for all believers because it demonstrates your submission to God's sovereign rule. Turn to verse 22. Let's, let's look at this for just a moment. Let me back it up. Uh, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now drop down to verse 3. You see that little phrase, in the same way? Well, in the same way as what? Well, in the same way that Christ entrusted himself to God who is sovereign, and him who judges righteously, in the same way, wives, submit. Submit to your husbands. It doesn't matter if they're obedient to the word or not. God is sovereign, and he will judge righteously. So in the same way that Christ submitted, wives, submit. Down in verse 7, you see that again. You husbands, what? In the same way. In the same way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. even if they're unbelieving wives, love them, cherish them, nurture them. Honor them. You can, you can do this because this is what Christ did. Submission, it was demonstrated and exampled to us by Christ. So, how do you pray? how do you pray? Pray that I would submit? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Pray that God would help you to submit to those who are in authority over you, right? Uh, So that you might silence the, the fools who contradict the faith. Look back at verse 15 for a moment. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. By submitting... To those in authority over you, you silence fools by your submission. Eighth, salvation. Salvation, 1 Timothy 2 4. I'll actually look back at verse 3 here. And I put this in here because it's a different Greek word, but I wanted you to see a distinction here. We're talking about salvation. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4, to four, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who wills all men, no, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does God desire for all men to be saved? Well, that's what the Scripture says, right? But there's a vast difference between that which God desires in his moral will versus what he decrees to come about in his sovereign will. There's a vast difference. God desires all men to be saved, but in his eternal sovereign will and plan, he chose not to save all. Right? We know this to be true because not everybody is saved. Right? If everybody were saved, there would be no hell. We also need to understand, and and I think I'm just going to say this in a very succinct statement, God's choices are determined by his sovereign will, not by his moral will. Does that make sense? His choices in saving some and not others is determined by his sovereign will and not by his moral will. I could give you examples of that, but I I hope you understand what I'm saying there. It's kind of like uh, we have a new puppy in our home. We have a boxer puppy. Very stubborn dog. And, and in my sovereign will, <laughs> I... I don't allow her to get away with anything other than what I allow her to get away with. In other words, uh, we keep her on leash, we walk her around the house, and when we release her from the leash, she thinks she's free, but I can step on the leash anytime I want and stop her, right? And so she, her choices are governed by my sovereign will. And I guess that's the point I'm after. Uh, she can't override me. She can't do what she wants to do. She, yet she has choices along the way. So Let me, let me kind of see if I can encapsulate this. The gospel is available to all through the broad proclamation of it, right? Everybody hears the gospel. Everybody hears the gospel. It would be nice if everybody believed and was saved. But the sad reality is that not all will believe because God has not decreed it to be so. Had God decreed it to be so, everyone would be saved. But, and here's the big point, that does not relieve us from our responsibility to preach the gospel to everyone because we have no idea who the elect are, do we? We have no idea. You and I don't know whom God has chosen, so we need to pray with equal fervor for everybody to come to know the Lord. Uh, everybody we come in contact with should hear the gospel from us, but we somehow need to trust in God's good and perfect choice through it all. We need to grasp the urgency, but, and we need to keep preaching the gospel, but we need to rest in the sovereignty of God in this. So how do you pray? Well, you pray for boldness with the gospel. You pray that you would not waste and squander opportunities, that, that God does desire, that you would have the same desire as God to see all men come to a knowledge of the truth. It doesn't relieve us from our responsibility, beloved. God uses means, which means he uses men's, right? He uses us to accomplish his will. The gospel has to be preached, and it has to be preached by us. I, I gave you a quote last week. I'll just put it up there again for you. Prayer is not attempting to get our will done in heaven, but his will done on earth. I think that's a good way to look at Prayer. I want you to think about one other thing, too, and that's the idea of citizenship. We've talked about this. We said that the third petition, Thy will be done, was built upon the second petition, Thy kingdom come. What that means is there's no place for personal kingdom building in our lives or in the church. Uh, We need to pray that God will bring his kingdom in his timing through the return of his appointed king But we also need to pray that we will live like citizens of that kingdom here and now by submitting to God's will for our lives. And that submission includes everything we have talked about this morning, right? Sacrifice, sanctification, satisfaction, suffering, spirit-filling, settledness, submission, and salvation. These are the revealed will of God for your lives. This is God's will for you. So we need to pray for God's will to prevail through us. And we need to live out his will for us. Let's pray. Our Father, I confess I don't often pray enough, not my will, but thy will, Lord, be done. Lord, probably for everyone in this room, that is not a prayer that is uttered very often from our lips. Not my will, O Lord, but thy be done. Lord, may you cause your will to prevail through us. May we not walk out of here with some sort of vain effort to try to self-reform. But Father, may we understand what the Word of God says in regard to your will. May we understand these statements that we've talked about this morning. May we fully grasp them and allow them to control our lives through your Spirit's indwelling. Father, we're praying that your Spirit would reap change in our lives. Father, we want to change because we want to be more like our King in the here and now. Father, help us as displaced citizens of the kingdom, to live with a heavenly mindset, to live with our eyes focused on that coming kingdom, that, Father, your moral will would prevail on this earth. Father, we long for the day. May righteousness reign through us through the power of your Spirit. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.